Well, I'm in a series that I started last week called Jesus the Life Changer. Can you say that? Jesus the Life Changer. And this morning's message is the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. I want to pray just for a moment because this is not an easy message. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, to examine your word. But God, we ask that you would change us, correct us, move us, encourage us through your word this morning. Meet the needs that are in this room in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, listen, Jesus attracted people everywhere he went. He made such an impact on so many people. And he's made such an impact on human history, even our calendars proclaim that. We've got B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. So I want to welcome you this morning to Eagle Ridge Church on November 6, 2022, in the year of the Lord. Amen? So you're welcome here. And Jesus said this. He predicted this in John chapter 12, verse 32. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from earth, and he's talking about when he went to the cross, I will draw all men unto me. There's that drawing. The Holy Spirit woos people to Christ. Not everybody will accept and receive. But the commission, nevertheless, doesn't change. Jesus draws people unto himself because he desires to spend eternity with us. Reminds me of a historical story about an individual's name is Giuseppe. Can you say that? Giuseppe. Great name if you're thinking about a name for your son. Giuseppe. Garibaldi. He was a great Italian military hero from the 19th century. He was an Italian general. He was a patriot, revolutionary. And he contributed to the Italian unification and the creation of the kingdom of Italy. Listen to this. He's considered one of the greatest generals of modern times and one of Italy's fathers of the fatherland. Garibaldi raised an incredible, committed volunteer, volunteer army. His appeal for recruits was rather unique as he offered only these terms, and I quote, I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, Battles and death, let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only follow me. Not a great sales pitch, is it? But he garnered amazing mass of, of troops, and Garibaldi's not the first to make such an offer. The Son of God, Jesus, came to earth over 2,000 years ago, and he's called us to follow him. Discipleship is not easy believism. It's fully devoted following Jesus, who Jesus is, being a disciple. And God has called us here at Eagle Ridge Church to introduce people to the Lord and to disciple those who already have a relationship with Jesus. So we're in Matthew chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there in your smart device or if you have a Bible, open that up to Matthew 18. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 18. Matthew chapter 8. I'm reading this morning out of the New Living Translation. I like to kind of bounce back and forth from the New Living Translation to the English uh, version, standard version. Starting with verse 18. 
when Jesus saw the crowd around him, when he saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, listen to this reply, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples, Now I want you to note that the, the reference is just their disciples, another of Jesus' disciples. So they're following Jesus, at least at this stage of Jesus' ministry. I'm kind of giving it away here. But another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and, and bury my, my father. Seems like a reasonable request. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Interesting response, isn't it? So multitudes gathered around Jesus because, well, be, quite frankly, they had desperate needs. They followed Jesus because Jesus met their needs. So far up to chapter 8, we've seen in the ministry of Jesus that he healed every disease. Everybody that came to him, he healed them. Not just partially, but entirely. He cast out demons. He did miracles. People were drawn, drawn to the Lord. They had needs. They were very needy. Big time needs. And the word got out. And good news gets out. They didn't have cell phones, they didn't have social media, but the word got out that Jesus was doing ministry. And so he garnered that, that multitude of people, and because of how Jesus ministered, and this is my first point this morning, many were attracted to Jesus Christ. I was attracted to the Lord Jesus. Growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, and, and, and that's all I had experienced. I'd never been in a, a different church other than a Catholic church. And then being invited to something very similar to what's going on tonight at the Harvest Crusade. It was during a time that we call the Jesus Movement. It's the late 60s on into the 70s. I'm kind of giving away my age here. I know you all thought I was in my mid-20s, but I've got news for you, I'm not. But I was invited to this, this event. I was told, hey, there's going to be rock music. I was into rock music and stuff, but little did I know it was at a church on Sunflower in Costa Mesa, right? And, and I, I was amazed. There was a line wrapped around the building on into the parking lot for people to go to church. I'd never witnessed that before. God made that happen again. And the doors were closed, and when they opened the doors, people flooded in. They were respectful, but they moved quickly. They flooded in. I wasn't used to that because at least in the tradition I grew up, you didn't run in church, you didn't make any noise, you didn't mess up or you'd be escorted out. People ran in. Why? To get to the front. Not just the front seats. They wanted to sit on the floor at the altar. It was packed. I'd never witnessed anything like that before. There was something going on. People were attracted to Jesus. And what was happening in that movement? Little did we know at the time it was a revival that had broken out. Boy, do we need a revival again, don't we? The Spirit of God was moving in such amazing ways. I'd, I had never witnessed that before. It was intriguing. And it was, you know, when there are a mass of people that are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit and God moving in powerful ways, it's just 
a phenomenal sense of God's presence. And I experienced that. And of course, when I heard the gospel for the first time, even though I had been in church for many years, I heard the gospel for the first time that night. Might have heard it before, but I didn't really hear it. Do you catch what I mean? And I heard it for the first time that night and received Christ. Now, people often followed Jesus. They were swarming around him. They had heard that he was in Capernaum. When I think of Capernaum, I think about 2019. Catherine and I had an opportunity to go to Israel. I know you're getting tired of hearing that. But I'll tell you, it was such a phenomenal trip. It really was. A once-in-a-lifetime trip. And we're, we're going to go again, and we're going to give you plenty of notice so you can come with us. Amen? Amen. So we're there, and, and uh, one of the excursions we went on was uh, the Sea of Galilee. Randy and Cindy, you remember this, don't you? We got in. It was cold. It was kind of wet, rainy, misty. We got into a boat that, in a, in a certain degree, uh, was similar to... They tried to make it similar to like the boat fishing boats of Jesus' day so you could get the vibe of, of the whole experience. So, so we got on and the water was like glass. Perfect for water skiing if you're a water skier, right? It was like glass. A little misty. We got on the boat. It was cold. And we went out, cast off, and, and went out. And they, they dropped the net. And they wanted us to experience some of the things that the disciples had done. And we worshiped while we were on the boat. The water, did I say, was like glass? Well, we were heading to Capernaum, which was on the other side, kind of off to the left. I don't know which direction, south, what, I don't remember, but we, I remember it kind of went that way. And we launched in, at Capernaum there, and the swells had started picking up at that point. And when we got off the boat, at that point there was a full-fledged storm of water coming down and the wet waves had picked up and I'll never forget my wife was taking a video and I said let's capture this because we read about in the scriptures how the waves pick up and the disciples were afraid they thought they were going to sink these are seasoned fishermen on the Sea of Galilee and they were worried about sinking and dying and perishing and 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 so we thought it was a great teaching moment with a video and I had the Sea of Galilee behind me and there were waves rolling in like the ocean. Now, let me just make it clear that it, the Sea of Galilee is not an ocean. It's not like the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or even the Mediterranean where we were near. It's a big lake. They call it a sea. But there were waves rolling in. It was, it was amazing. And the rain was coming down. And, and so I'm reminded that that Jesus was in that area, and it's so cool to be in the area that Jesus was in doing ministry. And, and one of the things that we recognized when we were over in Israel, how close everything was. It was so for so many years, been teaching God's word in different locations that you read about, and now we're there, and, and we're we're on site of the Holy Land. And, and the fascinating thing was how close everything was which made sense. They didn't have Uber back then. They walked or camels or donkeys or however they did that, but everything was so close. And so it made sense as you're reading through the pages of Scripture and you're learning from God's Word and then being there, it was just amazing. And we're in Capernaum and that's where Jesus did the bulk of His ministry in the, in the Galilean area. There are little pockets of towns there, and Capernaum is one of them. And people were rushing in to be around him, to, be, to get their, their needs met. 
They had needs. And here's something that Jesus said, and it sounds a little cold, and it's out of a paraphrase called the message, but listen. In John 6, 26, I have it on the screen. Jesus answered, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, I filled your stomachs, and for free. Yeah. You see, there's several reasons why uh, Jesus attracts people. Uh, some like what they see. Some like what they see. When, when, I, went, when I was invited to that, that event where I heard the gospel for the first time and there were bands playing and pastor got up there and very simply explained why the Father sent the Son on our behalf. I, I liked what I saw. I liked, I liked the enthusiasm in the room. I liked the peace, the joy people had. And I was watching this as kind of an outsider, watching everybody's reactions. I thought, man, they've got something that I don't have. I liked what I saw. Lives changed for the good. People being helped. People being ministered to. Needs being fulfilled and met. And then some profess Christ and belong to a church for the image, for the bumper sticker, the social standing it brings. I don't know that the social standing still applies today like it used to, but for whatever reason, people want to be aligned with being a part of a Christian church. I didn't say if that was right, and I didn't say that that was wrong. Some follow Christ in his church because of family and friends. Maybe you got drugged to, to church this morning. You didn't really want to come. Somebody loves you enough because they want you to hear and be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Amen. And, and that's okay. That's good. Somebody loves you. You were urged to come and listen to the word of God. Some feel comfortable following Christ and attending church. There's this sense of, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is where my needs get met. This is where I get filled with, with the Lord. There's, there's a comfort. Some have a weak understanding of God. They, they profess to know the Lord, and, and they receive just enough to kind of get Him by, to secure His approval. I would say that that kind of leans towards maybe a work salvation, like if I'm good enough and I, you know, if I go to church once a month, then I, I should have pretty good fire insurance, right? <laughs> They've done reports now. Things have changed after COVID. Would you agree with me? And uh, regular church attendance, now bet, you better not take this to heart, but regular church attendance now is, is, uh, Twice a month, you're considered a regular attender. Where back in the day, you know, it was three times a week, right? But things have changed. Things have changed. They certainly have. And some people have seen God's power to change lives. In other words, you saw somebody's life dramatically changed, whether their, their whole demeanor, their their, the way they live their life changed, or you saw something in, in this, 
spectacular realm as far as an, an amazing miracle in their life. And that intrigued you. And you wanted to find out, what, what is that? I, I need to find out more about that. If, if God can change them and, and provide for them and do a miracle in their life, I want to know more about that. So there's a lot of reasons why people pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then there are those who believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the promised Messiah, the Mashiach, the Savior. Jesus said, and I love the fact that the har- last night Harvest Crusade, right on the front of the stage, it had John 14, 6. Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through the Son. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Steve. You know, if, if you're a good person and you haven't really done too much wrong and you know, God will understand that and he'll let you in. Or if you're a good Baptist, a good Catholic, a good Methodist, talking about Rex right now, that'll get you to heaven. But Rex knows and I know that that's not enough. Jesus said the only way to the Father is through the Son. So it's not a religion and it's not based on behavior. It's based on what Christ already did and completed on the cross. Amen? The multitude that followed Jesus, and a great multitude followed him at this point early on in his ministry. Many people followed him of different socioeconomic categories. But the multitude of them missed something. They missed something. And Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. That's, by the way, not easy believism. Taking up the cross. There's a sacrifice involved. I've had people come to the altar I've had people come and, and want what God has to offer. They believe. But I've heard this more often than, than I care to. Pastor, I, I believe what you're saying. I believe what the Bible says. I have some questions, but I, I do believe, and I, I really believe that I need to have a relationship with the Lord. But I think there's some things I need to take care of first. You know, I've got to clean up before I come to the cross. I've got to line my ducks up. There's just some things, some business I need to take care of before. And maybe there's that process and thought that before God will embrace me and accept me, I've got to get certain things in order. And and Jesus said, come as you are. He'll take care of all that stuff. Let him do the work through the moving of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So many were attracted to Jesus. Even educated people were attracted to Jesus. There's a reference to one in, in verses 19 and kind of going on into verse 20. Teachers of religious law, the scribe, 
Some of your versions say a scribe approached Jesus. A scribe is a scholar. This particular individual was attracted to Jesus. And that all amazes you when you find out what this guy did for a living as a scribe. What did that mean? Well, listen, scribes were a profession and sometimes called lawyers. And they were some of the most devoted and committed men to the Jewish faith. And they were part of a sect known as Pharisees. You've heard that term before, the Pharisees. Seems like Jesus always had trouble with the Pharisees. They were the rabbi religious leaders. And the scribes were a part of that group. However, every Pharisee was not a scribe. A scribe was more of a scholar. So as far as protocol, a scribe is up here as far as education level. They were highly trained as compared to the average Pharisee who was learned in the scriptures as well. But the scribe was somebody quite remarkable in, that, in their vocation. What they did for a living is they would take the text and they didn't have copy machines like we do. They were the copy machines. And they would take the original, the text, and it had to be exact. Every jot, every tittle, every word had to be exact. They couldn't use any of their opinion. They had to quote it, write it, exact, meticulous, as Rex said, verbatim. That's what they did day in and day out. So they were well-versed, well-acquainted, with the Word of God. We're talking now about the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, and, and this is what they did for a living. And there was a set of criteria that they had to adhere to for perfection because they were handling the very Word of God, putting it into print to be taught. There was exactness. And the Jewish nation was committed to the preservation of the law, the Torah, the Word of God. They were committed to it. So they highly esteemed the scribe, and the scribe was under scrutiny that everything had to be meticulously perfect. So the scribes studied, and, and they classified, and they, in addition, taught the moral law that extended out from the Scriptures. The great tragedy came through centuries. The Jews began to place more emphasis on the oral law over the written law. And so by the third century after Christ, this moral law that they added, these commentaries were put into certain writings. The halachoth was the rules that governed an individual for the ritual of worship. So not only did you have the scriptures, but you had these voluminous written works by these scribes who were Pharisees explaining how to worship in detail, the halachot. The Talmud made up uh, of two parts, 
the Mishnah, 66, or excuse me, 63 discussions of the very subjects of the law. And so they would take the Ten Commandments, the law, and they created these voluminous works that they made commentary about how to understand how to live the law. And then the Gemara, it was the sacred legends of the people that was added. And then you had the Midrashim, the commentaries on the writing. So not only did they make a commentary about the law, but they had commentaries about the commentaries. Isn't it funny when man gets involved with things that God stipulates, mandates? That's the word for the last few years, mandates. The things that God orders. When man gets involved, it gets messed up. And then there was the Haggadah. So not only did you have the, 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 the uh, Mishnah, the Gemara, the Midrashim, the commentaries on those commentaries, now you have the Haggadah, which was thoughts about those commentaries, about the commentaries. And so you had the scribe. And that's what they did. That was their vocation. And now you have an individual who he's following Jesus. I don't know how he had time to do that. All the work that he was doing is, is a PhD level kind of dude. But uh, he saw something in Jesus and, and he followed him. And so it's interesting he's referred to as a disciple of Jesus. But he believed, he saw something in Jesus, maybe something superior in his teaching and his goings on and ministering and meeting needs. And he was a teacher himself. I like what Warren Worsby, one of my favorite commentators, he said about this particular passage, listen to this. He said, because great crowds followed Jesus and opposition had not yet begun. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. There wasn't a whole lot of opposition against Jesus. By the, way, by the way, you recall that most of his opposition was by the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, right? Worsby says, many would-be, many would-be disciples wanted to follow him. However, they would not pay the price. And that's the message, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. This teacher of the law some of your versions say, some say a scribe, but he was a scholar. And he, he's proclaiming his will, willingness to follow Jesus wherever, wherever you go. I'm going to follow you. I'll go anywhere with you. But Jesus demanded more than that. It's interesting. When you think of the Lord Jesus, I think of he's 100% God and he's 100% man. And he saw right into the hearts of individuals. He knew exactly what they needed. Somebody could proclaim something and he just kind of wove right in between all those words and boom, hit the heart. And his response was interesting. The scribe, the, the teacher of the law, and then the other disciple. Jesus said, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, capital S, Son, of man, capital M, signifying deity. He, right there, Jesus is making a, a messianic proclamation. 
that he's the Messiah, God in human flesh. He says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, you've got to abandon all to follow Jesus. The Gospel of Luke tells us in 14, chapter 14, 26 through 27, anyone who comes to me, Jesus said, but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. It's not a club with a membership card that gets you in the door. It's, it, that's why I prefer the vernacular of follower of Christ than Christian. Because a lot of people proclaim to be a Christian, but how many are indeed followers of Christ? These are hard words. I told you it wasn't going to be an easy message. Christ, what he says, what Jesus says to this teacher of the law, he says to all of us, being willing is not enough. He's the, this teacher of the law, the scribe said, I, Jesus, I'll follow you. I've seen what you've done, and, and I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, that's not enough. That's not enough. And what Jesus said to this scribe, he's saying to us. And then my last point this morning is the average disciple was attracted to Jesus. Verse 21, another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and, and, and bury my father. That seems reasonable. But look what Jesus replies. He says, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. The call of God came to this man and he hesitated. And I want you to know something this morning. When God is moving in your life, when God is calling you, God is saying, it's time. It's time. There are no excuses that are justified. I think the verse can be expressed this way. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And as you study the passage and do word studies in the original text, you find out that this man probably wasn't dead. This individual wanted to go back home and, and tend to his father's business. In other words, I've got things I've got to do. I've got to get my ducks in a row before I can fully follow you. Jesus said, no, no, no. Now's the time. Now's the time. In no way do I believe Jesus was asking the man to be disrespectful towards his father. He was talking about this man's priorities in life. To preach the gospel, to follow Jesus. This man's attention was divided. I wonder this morning if your attention is divided. Are there things that are going on that keep you from being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? The series is called Jesus the Life Changer. Has your life truly been changed by Jesus? Are you a follower of his? And, and don't feel shame if you're not perfect. None of us are. We're, we are all works in progress. But I want to challenge you this morning to embrace what God has for you. The love that he has for you, the life and purpose that he has for you. He's got amazing things in store for you. For you. And he loves you. 
And that litany of stuff of failures and shortcomings and things, he doesn't hold those against you. The enemy likes to remind you because the devil hates you. God loves you. God loves you but hates your sin. The devil hates you but loves your sin. God loves you. And he has a plan for each one of us. Amen? And it's a perfect plan. It really is. And it, it doesn't necessitate you and I understanding all the, the intricacies of theology and doctrine and all the questions that we all have, but it requires a life of faith, believing, believing the Word of God, believing that God has life for us, forgiveness of sins, believing that Jesus went to the cross for us. He took on our sin. And he's given us eternal life. And he said the only way to have eternal life is through him. It's through him. So all excuses are inadequate. They really are to the Lord. You can't negotiate like God and I. I remember somebody told me, well, you know, God and I have this kind of deal. I don't think so, man. I would, I would not be gambling with God. You're going to lose. You're going to lose, man. God and you do not have a deal. You don't have this kind of special thing going on. You do have a special thing if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me clarify that. Amen. Paul tells us, and I'm going to finish with this, and I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. Listen to this. Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul. I'm going to read it out of a paraphrase called the message. I, I, I love this. It, it's Romans 13, 11 through 14. But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off. In other words, when I read that, don't get, ex don't get distracted. Oblivious to God. The night's about over. Now this is, here's some eschatological implications here. That's fancy. I'm trying to wow you right now. Okay, that, that, but what that means is there's some end time stuff going on right here in, in this word, wording. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work He began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence and sleeping around in dissipation and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Now's the time. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we're grateful for your word, and we realize that now's the time to serve you. Now's the time to plug in and, and have relationship with you, Jesus. Now's the time. Now's the time for us to walk with you. Now's the time to be filled with your spirit, guided and directed by you, God. Lord, I just want to lift up those in the courtyard, those in the sanctuary, those that are watching online right now, as the Lord tells us in His Word, today is the day. Today is the day for salvation. And there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, you have a very special plan and purpose for each one of us. And it's worth living and it's certainly worth exploring because it's, it's perfect. It's your perfect plan and your perfect will for each one of our individual lives. And so God, I pray right now for everyone in this room, everybody watching online, everybody in the courtyard, God, that today is a day that commitment is made to, to walk with you, to start a relationship with you, to go to that next level of commitment with you. The Spirit of God is, is tugging at your heart right now. That's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and saying, now is the time. Will you surrender to the Lord Jesus? Will you receive the forgiveness of sins that He's made available? Are you willing to have your name written in God's book, the Lamb's book of life, and inherit eternal life? You don't have to fear death. You'll be heaven bound. Let me phrase it in a question. God forbid this happened, but let me put this in a question. If you were to die today, God forbid that, but if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you'd spend eternity in heaven? If there's any inkling of doubt at all, let's settle that right now. Give your heart to Jesus. If you have given your heart to Jesus, and you identify yourself as a Christian, but not necessarily as a follower of Christ, then make a commitment this morning. If that applies to anyone here, anyone watching, anybody in the courtyard, I want you to pray out loud with me right now. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. If you're rededicating your life to the Lord this morning, just say that. Lord, I rededicate my life to you, Jesus. I make a commitment to be your follower. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen, Amen. Well, you know what to do right now, don't you? There you go. The Bible says all the angels rejoice in heaven every time a soul is added to the kingdom of God. So if you pray to receive Christ for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. If you need a Bible, let me know. I'll get that for you. I'm going to be available to talk with you and encourage you. Some of our leaders will be up here to pray for you if you need prayer this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. And I look forward to sharing with you next Sunday, we're honoring our veterans. We love our veterans here at Eagle Ridge Church. Amen. So we have a special guest. The mayor of Menifee is going to come and share with us. Uh, we've got a couple of special guests. I'm, going to, I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm not special, but I'm sharing with you. And uh, so it's going to be a great, uh, great, great, great Sunday next Sunday. But I have a special request. If you know any Vietnam vets, raise your hand if you know somebody who was a Vietnam vet. Sometimes they're hard to find because they don't talk about it. But I'll tell you what, when they came back, they were ridiculed and... So they, they've kind of kept it on the down low. And, and so if you, ha if you know a Vietnam vet, bring them. They're going to get loved on and encouraged. We're not going to embarrass anybody, but we've got some special things for our veterans. So bring a vet next Sunday. Praise team's going to close us in a song. God bless you.